Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate as commercial surf parks open up all around the world. I'm your host, Brian Dickerson, editor at Wave Pool Mag. And together we'll explore this amazing new landscape by talking to the dreamers, developers, engineers, and everyone making this space happen. These are the personalities who are defining the breadth and scope of artificial wave making today. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. Okay, Wavepool Mag podcast, and my guest is Luke from Parkwood Club and the new Endless Surf Wavepool. And today we're going to learn a bit more about the project and what it means to this area, the Gold Coast. Uh, Luke's background is in golf. And uh, why don't you share with us your background? Well, thanks very much for having me. Um, Yeah, my background, um, I was a golf professional from around 19 to 32, which is sort of 10, 12 years ago now. And yeah, had the opportunity to, to uh, yeah, buy a property here on the golf course, uh, Gold Coast after my playing career. And, and that's what brought me to uh, yeah, Parkwood. And it's, it's interesting because um, a lot of the surf parks come to being more through the, the surf end and your experience in golf and knowing the golf world and, and that club realm and profitability and development gives you a unique perspective to, yeah. to this development. Could you, could you talk a little bit about the project briefly? Yeah, I think what, what, where the really surf park, I'll sort of loop back to the surf park, but clearly golf's had its struggles internationally as well around commercialization. And so we came to this property about 12 years ago with that key focus on diversifying revenue and making sure that the core revenue wasn't just relying on the green space. And, and so with our food and beverage offering, with our mixed use medical and our recreation center and and so we've been able to build this sort of community hub, which is a nice commercial business. And we were approached, yeah, probably four years ago of one of the surf technologies looking for a site and that drew us into the industry. And and we sort of did a deep dive and looked at all the techs and yeah, that, that that's where it looked. And we, I think one of the not being from surfing certainly has its disadvantages, but there are definitely some advantages around looking at something with clean, fresh eyes around what are the genuine opportunities and I think the fact that we'd work really hard on diversifying golf as a revenue. So we've got yoga here, Pilates, I've trampoline center, I've swim school, I have a, a pub, we've got uh, radiologists, we've got physiotherapists, all in our tenancy mix. And bringing that lens to the surf park industry, I think has really helped shape our master plan. And uh, yeah, it, it's been a, a fantastic journey so far and, and we're really enjoying the process. Yeah, so uh, maybe you can share with uh, our listeners something that when you view a surf park through a strictly surf lens, you might miss out on key components to, to revenue, profitability, or just overall experience. Can you pinpoint a couple of things that maybe the surfers are missing out that you bring into the space from golf? Yeah, I think there's probably, there's probably two parts to that is the, the sort of the, the external revenues through your mixed use opportunities, your residential opportunities, your tenancy and your food and beverage. But also in the pool, like some of that learn to surf stuff, we, we definitely feel can be really dialed up and we feel there's a huge revenue opportunity in particular with the way the endless surf pool works with that sort of secondary wave and giving us that opportunity to provide learn to surf an incredibly safe session. I think most pools have really understood that, but certainly in the Gold Coast in our environment, 
that secondary wave, it's a different customer profile to a hardcore surfer. And, and a friend of mine sort of threw it out there one time, you produce good waves, surfers will roll up no matter what. The real key here is how do we bring the whole of family? How do we make sure this is not just hardcore surfer and, and his board, we wanna make sure that the car's full and we wanna keep them here as long as possible. So what are the other activities um, from learn to surf, but what do you do post-surf? What do you do pre-surf? And so that's been really our focus on the core surf park. And then as you move outside of that, it gets a bit more developer mindset around the mixed use opportunities, whether it's through the wellbeing precinct or whether it's our education and, and, and sort of leisure tenancies or the residential or the hotel components. But it all really comes back to, there needs to be something for everyone. And um, whether it's grandma or whether it's right through to hardcore surfer, a little grown 12 year old, can't wait to get in the water. We need to make sure there's a genuine offer offer for someone to come to the property and extend their time. It's pretty clear through the the leisure and the and in the theme park industry or the uh, yeah the event based industry, the longer you can keep it a person on premise, the more money they spend. And and we think this anchor attraction is the way we're looking at it. As a surf pool is is clearly incredible and it, it's it's the primary attraction. But what else is there for the non surfer? And how do you use that anchor to drag the non surfer here? That's been our focus. Yeah, and, so, and that is interesting and, and fascinating as it evolves and develops. Conversely, what does surfing bring to a uh, golf establishment on site here? I've noticed it's it's very much golf. I walked into the, the golf lounge and there are a bunch of people having you know lunch after yep. a round of eighteen. So, what does surfing do for the uh, golf community? I think it makes it a little cooler. It's uh, being a golf pro, we weren't typically the cool kids in in town, but I think what surfing, the opportunity that surfing brings to golf is the ability to infuse it with its culture and it's a little bit cooler, a little bit, yeah, just a little bit more surf vibe. I think that's the first and foremost, but in particular with the tech that we chose with the Endless Surf product, with the beach size and, and, and the high performance nature of what we think that pool can produce, being on the Gold Coast, we had to be really careful about that. I think that was, we, we have, even a medium surfer here can really surf. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. And if we're going to put a pool in on the Gold Coast, we need to make sure that that sort of elite or that high performance level of the pool can can really hit its straps. And, and obviously it's where we landed with the Endless Surf product. But f- for me, the surf piece with its two, three, 400,000 guests, depending on your model, when you, when you bring that many people to a property and you have other things for them to do, it's yes, they may surf. And I think that's the that's the real key. A golf course typically will do 50, 60,000 rounds, where a surf park is really like having three golf courses on one property. And that's one of the key elements. Culture, I think, is a big part, but just the sheer traffic that a surf park will drive and allows you to infuse the rest of the property or, or at least activate those other offerings through food and beverage or retail. Okay. And on this journey, creating the Endless Surf, surf Park, where where are you right now? What can we expect and when? Yeah. So as all of these projects, they take time and um, we've been sort of a, I'm going to call it close to three years now. We're at the end of the approval process. So all being well by Christmas, we'll have a development application approval and uh, we'd like to be in construction in the back half of next year. That is yeah, I think that's pretty realistic. Originally, we were saying June, July next year. I probably think it's closer to September, October next year, just with, with, with timelines. But we would certainly like to be well and truly into construction in the back half of next year. Okay. 
I'm on site right now and I'm looking around and there is a lot of construction going on. There's uh, homes for retirement age, which is 50, by the way, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got another 50s living village, which a lifestyle village, which is, um, yeah, 200 apartments uh, from pickleball to you know, bowls greens, you know, putting greens, uh, cinema lounges. And so it's a really, a big part of our community is a residential offering. We have about 4,000 people in our, in, in our immediate catchment with golf course frontage homes. We're bringing the the retirement living and then with our the balance of of the resort precinct will bring in another 220 residential and hotel offerings and 12 villas so between apartments on site and the villas there's nearly 450 additional residential offerings on site okay now when you look at other surf parks already in operation and ones that are on their way to breaking ground or finishing construction what is it that part Parkwood is doing compared to the other ones that that separate you, that make you different? Yeah, what's really interesting, I mean, what Urban Surf did, and I think the other one in, um, in, in the UK, they were the first guys to really break the commercial model, certainly from the outside. Kelly created the wave, and you keep it real simple, and then these guys really dialed it up so you could produce enough waves. And and so with absolutely no disrespect to them, I love the Urban Surf product down at um, in Melbourne, but I think We've been able to come at it just that little bit later into the market where we've been able to do trips around the place, see what's offered. And a big part for me was, I think our location is huge. We're, we're, in, a, we're in town, we're not out of town. We've already got food and beverage offerings. And so I think one of the key elements that our project offer is that full every, there's something for everyone, but we're not 40 minutes out of town. We're literally in their backyard. I think we're six minutes from the CBD of the Gold Coast. And I think if I was to summarize it, it's that something for everyone, whether it's our brew house, the bakery offering, the festival and events hall, obviously the beach has got sort of four components to it in a beach club, the surf beach, a family beach and an event beach. We've got our retail precinct that has nearly 16,000 square meters of mixed use. We've got the co-working space, we've got our retail. And so I just feel that that's something for everyone was is probably the uniqueness. Uh, certainly some of the plans and designs I'm seeing come out at the moment, they look amazing. And without context sometimes to the suburbs, it's hard to truly understand where they are. I'm just about to do a trip through the US. Uh, I've just recently come back from one from the U from Europe, just looking at these sites. So I think they're all pretty unique. Where I feel our difference is, is that, that holistic approach, the golf and surf aspect, the food and beverage aspect, and the retail all wrapped into one. So how does this translate? I mean, you're very much wrapped into creating a surf park right now and, and this development and you're focused on the design, the, the architecture, the revenue streams. What does it mean for, say, I'm a you know, tradesman. I live a mile down the road and I love surfing. I want to you know, be able to surf regularly, but uh, it's inconsistent out here. How does, how, how does Parkwood play into that? How does yeah. it appeal to me? Uh, not being from surf and really then getting a grasp of what wave pools in general are going to do for that part of the world is bring consistency, bring safety, bring a whole lot of elements that nature doesn't provide. It's for me, it's a total game changer for surfing in general. Being such an iconic destination for surfing like the Gold Coast is, the Gold Coast is begging for one of these products to be built here. And I think it really will provide it. It will provide that consistency. I mean, obviously, we've got our commercial models and we want to be conservative when forecasting, but I can see 
the uptake and we'll have offerings from sort of that very premium experience um, that is say an expensive option right down to that everyday surface. So we, we again, that holistic something for everyone. We want to make sure as if you want to get in the pool, there's an option for you to do it and in different sessions in different ways. So I think that's the that's the big game changer for me is just that consistency, the ability to surf at 10 o'clock at night, the ability to surf at 4 a.m. So we're going to be opening the pool at 4 a.m. Gold Coast is an early morning place for those people in Europe that would seem very odd. That's nighttime, not day, not morning. But that 4 a.m. surf before work, two hours in the pool, then head to work, that's something that I see every, I mean, every time I've headed down uh, through last summer that I head down and I look at the beaches, it's like, it's 4.25 and there's guys paddling out. It blew my mind. And so making sure those nighttime offerings, the daytime offerings. So for me, a lot of the time, it's not even whether the surf's good or not. It's when you're working and you can't get to the surf in the middle of winter here. And that's a big problem, right? Where now you can book a seven o'clock session, a nine o'clock session. And I think, I think that's a game changer for surfing across all the pools. So, so let's roll back a little bit and look at the structure that you have for, you mentioned the top tier experience and then you mentioned the uh, everyday surfer how it appeals can you run us through what those might look like yeah so we're really early in this and one of the key elements that we're doing part of the trip to europe and part of the trip to the us is really to deep dive into this space but the key brief is that firstly something for everyone and then the customer journey what does it look like how do you check in what's the feel of that how do we bring how do we bring a guy paying 80 dollars for the surf and how do we make that feel like he's paying 300 how do we increase the experience? How do we make sure? I, I, I recently visited Alaya Bay in, in Switzerland and I thought, I mean, what those guys have done there is exceptional and they've really thought about that customer journey and they've really thought about those things. So whether it's at the base level where it's a, you're just booking a session in the pool or whether it's a private buyout, getting that customer journey, I think we all talk about these things, but really understanding step one, step two, step three and like all these profit uh, products, we see that premium offering. There's clearly what, what certainly what Kelly's pool has has shown the market is there's clearly a market for high end. If you service it and the waves right, people will pay the price. And so making sure that that part of our market is not left out, and we go down just a daily high, a session higher fee, making sure that there is the ability to go into a half day buyout or buy the left out or buy the right out or buy the whole pool and and might just be for three hours and we don't necessarily need to buy it for a day. And and I think that's where the Endless Surf product is super unique in the sense of its flexibility to produce a different wave on the left to a different wave on the right. So as we work through this next sort of three to four months or even probably even three to six months, that's our focus is to look at that full tier of products and then develop custom sort of offerings for each of them. Going back, I want to step back just a bit. How is it, you mentioned going to Alaya Bay and visiting Urban Surf in, in Melbourne. How is it speaking to other people in the surf park space? Is there kind of a camaraderie like, or is it competitive? Is there like... I, I think it's, it's probably a bit of both. I mean, we, we've got uh, in Australia, obviously there's, I mean, the guys from Surf Lakes, they're just amazing. Aaron and his team um, have done an amazing job up there. The, I, I met the guys from the Wiseman's Project, same deal, highly capable, fantastic offering of what they're looking at. Uh, the Urban Surf guys got to know them the last six months. And so I think... Is there a natural um, competitive? I think anyone that's commercial would say yes. But what I've found wholeheartedly is, I mean, everyone's willing to open the door, show you their product. What are we doing? What are you doing? I think there's a real co-learning happening at the moment within the industry. Adam at Alaya Bay was amazing, completely accommodating, spent a few hours, 
with us walking us through the facility at a personal level, then had took us out to dinner. I mean, these, all in all, this is an open book. We're the same. If someone wants to come and talk about a project, happy to, yeah, take them through it. So I've really enjoyed, certainly coming from outside surfing, the hospitality of other venues, other sites, other surf park developers. And and I think Endless Surf's done a really good job. And Baptiste from Endless, he facilitated the trip to Europe and got us, I'm going to say there was might have been eight or nine or ten sort of wave park developers and that he got together. The guys in Germany spent a day and a half with us as well and all facilitated by what Baptiste did through his relationships pre and and, and obviously through Endless Surf. So I'm, I'm, I've been unbelievably sort of overwhelmed with how sort of open the industry's been around just sharing. And I think it's good. I think it's really good because it is such a new industry. I genuinely think we all get better if we're all happy to share a little like, yes, there's a natural commercial, we're all going to raise some money and we're all building pools, but even just out on construction methodology, like all of those sort of things. Yeah, now, um, which brings me back to the surf park versus golf space. Would you find that in the golf community? Like if you're working on a development in a club, would you go around visiting sites or is that a little more um, secret? No, you, you certainly get that. Certainly at, at the general manager level within golf clubs, there's a lot of co-sharing. Golf clubs are the same. We, at what we've done at Parkwood, has sort of been market leading in Australia and, and, and I would have hosted 50 or 60 boards and GMs here in the last five years around diversification. So it's, it's definitely there. I think where it's probably a little different is the matured products in golf are maybe not as sharing naturally. Like you, you've got your business and where I think everyone's a bit new here, so there's a bit more. But golf is quite open and transparent as well. In particular, a lot of clubs are not for profit. You know, certainly in Australia, they're, they're private member clubs, so they're not about making profit. They're actually about member and guest experience as their primary thing. But, yeah, I just felt the surf scenario, it was a little – because we're all in that – clawing for sites we're all in that clawing for market share phase but it was yeah it was pleasantly surprising of how open book everyone was so okay well great and going back to um creating an endless surf using using their technology you uh showed me some renderings earlier and you had more beach aspect to the wave pool like you're Developing that, you also have on the beach a two-tiered structure, so you have people below and, and people above. How much? Well, let me let me back up. It appears you're putting a lot of emphasis on the design of the space rather than if years ago it was just build the wave pool and everything else will fall into fall into play. How specific and laser guided are you on this? Do you see it as that will make the park or that won't? I think, Share with us. Yeah, I think the real key here for me is I think all of the individual business units are very, very strong. And I think if they're if they're treated as ancillary, they'll be ancillary and that's fine. I mean, if just jumping to Urban Surf, what they've done with the Three Blue Ducks restaurant down there is outstanding. But I think there is a larger opportunity to to make food and beverage a core focus. And when you do that, you need to look at all the individual spaces, so the different spaces within within the park. So whether that's the upper terrace on the lawns and the, and, and the food and beverage areas, whether that's the lower beach club interface and what's that restaurant truly look like? What's the FF&E look like for a restaurant? What's the menu going to look like? So we've just started developing all of those elements from menu items to fit out items to what's the charge model. And I think if, if or from our point of view, we feel that what we don't want to do is say, this is a surf park project or this is a golf project or this is a food and beverage project. We want to give each individual 
part of the business the same level of attention and care, the same way we went through a two-year DD on picking tech and making sure it was the right product for our site. We're doing the same with food and beverage. We're doing the same with the entertainment level in the business, whether it's kids entertainment with mini golf and 10 pin bowling and the resort amenities. We want to make sure that's right. The same as the resorts on-premise stay. So we're you know, effectively our organizational structure is each part of the business has its own director. So there's a surf director, a golf director, a food and beverage director, a hotel director, uh, uh, making sure those guys are not compromised by the hero product. They've got their own business unit and the design element, that customer journey element on each of those layers need the same level of attention. And then the design from a built form point of view, even from a software and a software architecture point of view, that's been our key focus. And we're really ground zero on a lot of parts of this. We're probably one step forward of that where we're briefing notes on what does that look like? We've just started the recruitment process. So I think that's the real key to our project is we are focused on each of those customer segments and making sure that grandma, dad, hardcore surfer, semi-surfer, golfer, they all have a, a product here and it does hit those benchmarks. Okay. I, I was just going to ask you what you're most proud of in this development. And I think you went answered that with the wide ranging appeal or am I wrong? You want to? Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I think one of the things, uh, it's hard to be proud of a project that's not done. I'm, I'm proud of the vision at the moment is probably what it is. I think that vision will continue to grow over the next few months with the additional travel. Uh, we've spent some time in Bali recently walking through beach clubs, but not, not out the front where you're partying, out the back of house, looking at how do you do 2000 meals in two hours and, and really, and so I'm probably most proud of the fact that we're operators first and foremost, not developers, and we really want to understand how this is going to function, and then we can design off that functionality piece. And I think that's, if we get this right the way we're proposing to do it, that's where the win will come from is it's designed to function. And and as we all know, you build a house, you build anything, you, the day after you finish, you go, oh, maybe we should have put that here. So we're spending an enormous amount of time on that. And at the moment, if you would ask me what I'm most proud of is that I think we've got that in the right order where, where we're less worried about the bling and the fun and we haven't released hundreds of renders we're not interested in we're interested in how this is going to function and we're willing to change it if we find that there's a better way of doing it so that's uh yeah fan fantastic in that there you're very well prepared that's the initial feeling i get just speaking with you and and just seeing the renders and everything of course every wave pool development is very much prepared and and, and ready to go but it sounds like you've uh, listed, you've, you've got a great list of things to to go over and to to make happen. Yeah, and we've got a good team behind us. We've got a lot of experienced developers sitting in under us and my business partners on the site have, have, have been around for a long time. They understand commercial business that it doesn't need to be done fast. You do it once and you do it right. And I think that helps when your equity and when your stakeholders are not in a hurry, they're interested in doing it right, not and not having to go back and do stuff. So you do tear up a little bit more money on the front end, but we're certainly hoping and, and, and our current experience is that you, you, you reap that benefit on the back end much more, so. Okay, and do you think, uh, you mentioned that the traditional development trajectory and what you have to line up, do you think that's changed in the past years, like since COVID and uh, with the global situation? Certainly timing and, and even capital. Uh, there's, a, there's certainly in Australia, and I don't know the rest of the world, but I assume it's similar, the construction risk is much higher right now. 
to build anything in the current climate is 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 much higher, and it's why we're really closely looking at the construction methodology of the pool. We're, we're talking to Merthyr around their technology they've just announced with Endless Surf, and that looks incredible. And so I think probably what's changed more than anything is construction risk. There's always capital for good projects. That's, I would nearly think, the easy part with a good project. A little more difficult in a unique surf park project, but I think construction risk and, and, and timing. I think things are blowing out a little bit more. I think the labour shortage across consultants, the labour shortage across, in our case, our local council, is they're busy and, and, and things aren't happening. What used to take six weeks is taking 12 weeks at the moment. So being patient and, and we're fortunate that we own the land that we're on. We've owned it for many years. We're not in a hurry. We don't have any land holding costs that we've got to hit certain deadlines and targets. If, if, if the well blew up tomorrow, our vision doesn't change. We'll deliver this product. It just could be three years later. And so that helps us be able to stay on track. It's not like, is this going to happen? It's, it's more of a when. And uh, everything feels okay at the moment for a sort of end of next year kickoff. Okay. Well, let's send it off with you giving advice to all the would-be surf park developers out there, because there are a lot of them that listen to this podcast. A lot of people are just sponges for information. What advice would you give someone? Oh, I think, I mean, site selection, I think everyone would say site selection is incredible. I mean, that that's not really about surf parks. That's about every development in having the appropriate site. I, I think tech selection, site and tech selection are really high. And then being wide enough to truly look at the whole opportunity and 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 bringing in different opinions from different stakeholders. If you have residential opportunity or if you have commercial opportunity or if it is a straight standalone sort of attraction as a surf park, I think trying to put the lens on and see where the industry is going to be, not where it is today. Um, that's not taking away from where it is today. I think those early guys like your Urbans and Alayas, they are setting the trend for this sort of this, this boom that's going to drive. But I think looking at their products and saying, where are they in five years? Because we're developing for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years from now. So my advice is get the, like, look at sites, be careful at those sites, ground conditions. I remember listening to a podcast, and it might have been one of the founders of Urban talking about ground conditions and dewatering. And uh, so I think getting your geotech early on your site and making sure your build costs aren't 10 million more. Make, so pick that site, get the tech right, and really understand the tech. That was really confusing for us at the start. Everyone had the best tech. What I realize now is all good. I mean, there's a heap of good tech out there. Um, they're all gonna mature at different times and different speeds. So you're measuring and why you pick your tech is really based on your market, based on your opportunity. And so making sure you really understand what, what you're trying to service. Uh, so you select that tech correctly. I think that's probably the early piece. And use great urban planners. I've done a lot of sort of design on golf course master plans and those type of products and getting that master plan right. Like if you're going to, if you, if you think you've got a multi-stage, go to the end at the start and work your way back. Make sure you've got a good visibility of what 25 years looks like and work your way the other way. So you don't end up putting a car park in an area that can potentially be a residential building in 15 years time. Luke, thank you very much. Appreciate you taking the time out to join us today and uh, share your wealth of knowledge. I'm impressed. <laughs> I've, I've learned a few things today. So uh, thank you very much for that. Well, thanks very much for having me. And I appreciate you uh, doing it tough flying around the world, checking out surf parks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough job. It's very tough. <laughs> All right. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.